Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Amen. Everybody say worth it. Worth it. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about being worth it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God. Now I'm going to try to read this without preaching, but that probably won't happen. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Everybody say every. Every spiritual blessing. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because, because we are united with Christ, because we are found in Christ, because we are in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. Even before he made the world, oh, it's so good. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to, in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. One thing that I've been thinking about when, when I read that scripture, that God loved us before he created the world. Did you know that God had the problems in your life solved before you ever had problems? <laughs> that God loved you before you were alive? That he chose you before that? He, he, knew, he knew the end before the beginning? Come on, I love that. And so God, listen, you, he wanted you before you made those mistakes. And he's going to love you way after you make them. Come on. And so he loved us and chose us to be in Christ, to be holy. And this is important. Everybody say holy. To be holy without fault in his eyes. Holy means set apart. So God doesn't just love you and, yeah, I love everything. No, no, no. He, he wants you to come out from among them and be separate. He wants you to live a life that's set apart. And it says God decided in, in advance to adopt us. Now, how many of y'all have kids? Now, most of the time when we have kids, we, we choose to get pregnant and have babies. Sometimes babies are, are or, or the, the creation of a baby in our eyes is a mistake, right? Or uh, an accident. We have a, a, an unexpected uh, pregnancy. Our, our last born, our, our last born, is that the right word? Our, our youngest son, or last born, uh, our, <laughs> sounds so terrible. Our, our youngest son was, Leslie woke me up and said, hey, I'm pregnant. Whoa, Jehovah sneaky. You know, I was like, man, here we go. And so we were kind of, you know, thinking, well, that's crazy. We didn't, we didn't choose this. It chose us, right? How many know that, that adoption is way different than natural childbearing? In fact, it speaks more of our want than even we decided to get pregnant. Because adoption, you said something that doesn't belong to me. I'm going to go out of my way so that, we, that, that they will belong to me. And so adoption speaks way more of choosing than even, even natural childbearing. Come on. And so when God, that's, I think that's part of the reason why God uses this language, adoption, because he wants us to understand how chosen we really are. So he decided into advance. He showed up at the adoption agency and said, I want you. Come on. In all your little dysfunction, all your mistakes, little messy, little, little bratty kid, I want that one. Isn't that good? So he decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Everybody say it's through Jesus. Here's where it gets good or gooder. This is what he wanted to do. It wasn't by cosmic obligation. Wasn't because God had to do it. It's because he wanted to do it. 
and it gave him great pleasure. It gave him pleasure to pick you. It gave him pleasure to choose you. So we praise God for this glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. For he is rich in kindness and grace. And he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. We're talking about being worth it today. That God saw us, that he wanted us, that he chose us. You know, one of the the greatest contributors to, to success or the demise of people is their self-worth. Come on. You've met people before that had no confidence, right? And no confidence. And they just weren't very successful at life. It just, it always felt like life was beating them down. They couldn't go anywhere. And then you've met other people that they just have this, this tenacity about them, that they have this confidence, that they, that not arrogance, but confidence to say, you know what? I can do this. I can get through. I can make, you guys have seen that. And we see, man, people's success and their demise really falls on this thing called self-worth. I, I, I've watched I've watched women my whole life that didn't have any dignity or self worth that would be that would give themselves over to some man that didn't treat them like she needed to be treated, a man that would that would abuse her uh, mentally and physically and verbally and just make her feel little in order to make himself feel big, and she would feel like that she needed to stay with that man because she found value in being wanted. Maybe y'all have ever seen that. Maybe y'all have ever tried to talk somebody down from that. There was a, a woman when I was growing up, my, my mom's best friend growing up right down the street from us, very close to this woman, was in our life for decades, and she married this man who was to this day probably the meanest man I've ever met in my life. And just continual abuse. She would call the cops. It eventually ended in her death from this man who first killed her and then killed himself. I believe he was even shot by cops and stuff. I mean, it just went down crazy, but she stayed with this, this violent man who didn't value her for decades. Why? Because she had, she didn't realize how much she was worth. If she just would have known that she was worth so much more than that. Listen, listen, and I specifically say this to you young women. You are worth more than that. You are worth more than that. You are worth being loved. You are worth being cherished. You are worth being valued. Come on. You, 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 listen, listen, there is a man in heaven, the greatest man, the God man, Jesus, loves you and values you and cherishes you. You don't have to find your value in, in somebody that won't treat you accordingly. You know, one of the most cringeworthy statements that we hear is the word worthless. Worthless. When I hear someone refer, I don't care if it's a, a person that you would consider evil. When someone says that that person is worthless, I, I cringe at that because I know, first of all, that that's a lie. That there's no person alive that is worthless. If it is, then Jesus died in vain. 
because I might have looked at 18 years old pretty worthless. But then Jesus showed up at the adoption agency (laughs) for this rebellious orphan. And then we treat people like they're worthless. We devalue them. We There's abuse and racism and bigotry and hatred and violence. What is all this? This is treating people not according to their human value. And we we get angry. These things frustrate us. Why? Because we know that every person is valuable because every person is created in the image of God. We know this. And so we, we have this sense of justice that rises up within us because we understand that humans are valuable. So just eliminate that word worthless from your vocabulary. Get rid of it. Now let's, let's talk. There's a difference between being deserving and being worthy or deserving and worth. Correct? And so when we talk about deserving, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about a merit-based system. Right? We're talking about something that is measured by labor or production. Right, I deserve. I go and I work 40 hours this week. I deserve a wage for that. Correct? I deserve to, to, to reap where I have sown. I, 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 I deserve on Friday to get paid for the work that I have done. Right? Some of you have told your boss that. Now, the measure of deserving is not intention, effort, or sincerity. So you can sincerely wake up in the morning and decide you don't want to go to work sincerely want to be there and play Xbox all day, but you ain't going to get paid, right? Because deserving is, a, is based upon merit. It's, it's based upon labor and production. Beloved, we don't deserve a relationship with God. We are not entitled to it. Just because you're made in God's image doesn't mean that you deserve a relationship with God. You say, well, well I'm a good person. So I deserve to go to heaven. I'm a good person. I deserve to be right with God. False. Because when we talk about good in the context of God, we're talking about a good that, that, that is totally abstract from the good that you know. See, you might be good, according to Mr. or Mrs. Jones down the street, or the guy that you're Facebook friends with, or the guy that you work with. You might be good compared to them. When we speak of goodness, we're not speaking of value. We're speaking of moral excellence. We're talking about moral character. So when we talk about God's goodness, we're talking about a goodness that is far above anything a human could do. Are you tracking? So we're talking about goodness. The the most common word that is used to describe God in the Bible, you know what it is? Somebody says love. It's not love. It's holy. The most common word that we use to describe God throughout the scriptures, we should still today, is holy. What does holy mean? Holy means uncommon. For us, it means set set apart for an uncommon purpose. When we talk about God's holiness, we're saying that God is completely other than. That he is completely uncommon. So when we talk about his love, the reason why his love is so powerful is because we don't know a love like that without him. Because his love is holy. His goodness is holy. He's, it's completely uncommon. It's like n- nothing we've ever known before. 
So to say that we're a good person and I deserve to be in right relationship with God, you're misunderstanding goodness. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us this, there is none good, no, not even one. The prophets tell us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Is it because it's not good compared to other humans? No, it can be fine compared to them, but, but they are not the standard. The standard of goodness before God is the standard called righteousness. It's called righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. And the standard isn't just righteousness based upon other humans. The standard is the righteousness of God. So get this, and you're going to have to hold with me here. Stay till the end. In order to be in right relationship with God, you have to be perfectly righteous. Eliminated. I'm eliminated because I'm not perfectly righteous. But maybe I am. We'll see. When we talk about worth, we're talking about something else. We talk about worth, we're talking, we're talking about what someone is willing to pay. See, worth is determined by what someone is willing to pay. Its measure is its value. If Pastor Leslie and I decided to sell our house and we wanted to put it on the market, say we wanted to do that today, and we put the price tag on our house for $1 million. First of all, you would say you're very optimistic. <laughs> Some of you would say we're very foolish. And if I put the house on the market for that, even though the market value is probably about, I don't know, 175, it is worth that if someone's willing to pay a million dollars for it. So if somebody comes to me and says, I'm going to write you a check right now for a million dollars for your home, all of a sudden my home is worth one million dollars. I'm not going to take two hundred. I'm not going to take six hundred thousand for it. Not even if you're nice to me. I won't even let my kids buy it for that much. I'm going to take a million bucks for it. Why? Because that's what it's worth. It's not what the market says it's worth, but it's what someone is willing to pay for it, and that's where we find worth. See, your worth is not what the market says it is. Your worth is not what you think it is. Your value is not what you feel like your value is. Your value is not found in how you've been treated or mistreated. That is not where you find your value, beloved. Your value is found when someone is willing to pay a price for you. What is that price? The price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's how much you're worth. You're worth the life of Jesus. This is why Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. He said, Father, I pray that they would know that you love them as much as you love me. I love you. I'm in love with you. I'm madly in love with you. In fact, you are worth so much. I will give you Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus. From his love-filled holy heart, his love-filled righteous heart, he looked at you and said, you're valuable. 
I want you. And I'll pay the price to have you. So no, we don't deserve it. We're not good enough. However, we are valuable enough. And we are worth it. Look at your neighbor and say, you're worth it. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're worth it. Listen, beloved. You are cross-worthy. You are cross-worthy. Worthy. You are worthy of the cross. See, this is what I know about God. God is a good steward. God is a good steward. And he doesn't waste what is precious. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Why do we call him the Lamb of God? In Jewish culture, they have this day, still today, some celebrate it, called the Day of Atonement. This is Leviticus, I believe, is chapter 19, talks about the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, they would pull out two goats for sacrifices. The priest would take one goat, and he would sacrifice that goat. Pastor Brooke talked about sacrifices last week. He would sacrifice that goat for the sins of the people. And he would take that goat, that goat's blood, and he would sprinkle it all over the temple. Those days they had an understanding that blood was life. If you don't have blood in your body, then you don't have life. So they would sprinkle this blood as sacrifice that life would cover death, that life would override the punishment for sin. So this is the way they dealt with their sins. But there was another goat. And this goat was called the scapegoat. You guys have heard that term. And so what the priest would do is he would grab this second goat and he would place his hands on that goat and he would confess the sins of the people, confess the sins of the nation, and they would mark that goat and they would drive that goat into the wilderness, into the wild, and they would send that goat out to be lost. Listen, Jesus is our scapegoat. God placed on him the sins of us all and he sent those sins far 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 away Jesus became the scapegoat for our sins for our unrighteousness for our undeserving for our right standing before God 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us to take the punishment of sin on himself that we might become the righteousness of God. Well, didn't you say we have to be as righteous as God is to get into heaven? That's right. So Jesus took your sin and he took your shame and he took your own life and he, and he took everything that you quote unquote deserved. And he imputed on you his righteousness. That's kind of over-spiritual word for you, theologians. Imputed righteousness means that righteousness was placed on, forced on, instead of punishment. That righteousness was put on instead of sin. This is what he closed you in. See, we couldn't come to him. Love this. We couldn't come to him in our righteousness, so he came to us in his So he came to us with his. 
See, it's not the goodness of God. It's not your goodness that gets you in a relationship with God. It's God's goodness that gets you into a relationship with God. And it's out of his righteousnesses, it's out of his holinesses that he sees your value. And he says, man, I love them and I want them. I want them so much. I will do whatever it takes to make, make it so that they are deserving. So that they can come in. Isaiah 53. I would encourage you to read over, that, over this this week. This is speaking of the crucified Messiah. It says he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was, he was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. No, 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 no. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Listen, the greatest sin, in my opinion, is just simply abandoning God's path and doing your own thing. This is what it says. We have all left God's path, his plan, his purposes to follow our own. Yet the Lord, (laughs) even in our rebellion, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Because of the cross, our value is revealed. Don't ever say you're worthless. You're worth the precious blood of Jesus. God loved you, valued you so much that he paid the highest price that could ever be paid to have you. We are the joy that is set before him. You're the joy. You're the, you're, the, you're the thing that kept him alive during those hours. You're, you're, who, who crucified Jesus? Me. I crucified Jesus with my sin. He took it all so I could be in right relationship with him. Number two, because of the cross, our value is revealed. Number two, because of the cross, we belong to God. If I purchase something from you, that now becomes mine. Right? If you come to my house, say, Pastor Josh, I want to buy your car. Here's five grand for it. I'd be like, well, thank you. And I would, I would sell you that car. After you buy that car from, car from me, I have no more rights to that car. You have the title. You have, I don't get to go and drive that car whenever I want or when I feel like it or when I'm having a bad day or when my car is broke down. Oh, come on. I can't just go up and show up at your house and pull out the old key and drive that car. What is that called? That's called robbery. See, some of you have been doing that with your life. You've been saying, oh, I belong to Jesus, but you want to take the old car for a ride every once in a while. Listen, you've been bought with a price, beloved. You belong to God. You're not your own. It's not about you. It's not about your happiness. It's not about your pleasure. It's not about your, your whatever you want. It's about 
belonging to God. It's about your big yes to God. God, what do you want for me? What do you have for me? Can I tell you today that, it, that if you are settling for anything less than what God has, then you are settling for less, way less. What you, we, we count the cost. Somebody says, oh, it's going to be so hard to follow God. Listen, it's going to be so much harder for you not to follow God. Your plans are far less superior than his. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people. Everybody say, I'm chosen. You're a royal priesthood. Everybody say, I'm royalty. You're royalty. Everyone say, I'm holy. You are holy. You're a holy nation. Of pe- Why? Well, how can you be those things? How can you be royalty? And how can you be holy? And how can you be chosen? Because you belong to God. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is what it says. You were not a people. Once you were not a people. Verse 10. Once you didn't belong to God. I know you were a good person, but you didn't belong to God. But now. <laughs> now <laughs> Now you're a God people, right? You, now, you, now you belong to God. Now you're those people. Welcome to it. I'll take that. Throw me in. I'm sticking with the church. I saw this video on Facebook. Fire me. I'm sticking with the church. I'll be happy to be as flawed as I may be. I'll be happy to be called the bride of Christ. I'll be happy to be called the body of Christ. As flawed as we may be, I'll be happy to associate myself with that which belongs to Jesus. Once you have not received mercy, but now, now you have. Now you've received mercy. See, we've all been paid for. The price has already been paid, but are you in his possession? We love belonging. We love the feeling and the belonging, but do you belong? You want the feeling of belonging. Don't pursue the feeling of belonging. Really belong. Have have you you ever had that? Where, where, Where you... You thought you would fit in? You thought you would belong, but you didn't? You thought if you did this or did that, they would accept you, they would bring you in and you belong? You ever had that? I've had it happen. It's the most gut-wrenching feeling in the world to think you're going to belong. You know, Listen, this is a real belong. Don't pursue the feeling. Just belong. Say, Jesus, I'm completely yours. Totally, completely surrendered to yours. The feeling will come. The confidence will come. Are you in his possession? James 1.18 says this, that he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became, became his most prized possession. God has your face on his refrigerator. <laughs> you are his profile image. Come on, you're the image he's sharing. You're, the, you're, you're, you're like the, the favorite picture on his cell phone he's, that he's showing everybody. He is madly in love with you, and he's proud that you belong to him. It's not based upon your performance or your goodness. It's based on his. He loves you, and you belong to him. Do you belong to him? You know, we took a trip this summer and saw, uh, did this RV trip. We went up through 
beautiful Colorado and Wyoming, Montana. All those places are beautiful. You know what we found out? We found out two things. First thing was, it's beautiful. It's way beautiful. And the second thing we found out is Texas is still better. So then, yeah. So that wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be. Okay. So we saw, man, like Yellowstone. We saw all this gorgeous stuff, you know. You can get online and look at these pictures of the beautiful galaxies. You know, out of all of that creation that God made, he doesn't look at me. Hey, look at the Grand Canyon. I did that. <laughs> no, no, no. He, he says, these, these ones, as dysfunctional as they may be, They are my most prized possessions. You know what you do with your most prized possessions? You display them. We belong to God. Because of the cross, our value is revealed. Number two, we belong to God. And because of the cross, we carry value. So we live with values. We carry value because we're His. 1989, I was a football card collector. Right? Little, back when I was a little daddy. <laughs> Never mind. And we collected these cards, these football cards, right? And they had a, you know, this is, I'm talking like, this is like when Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith, come on, these are the Cowboys, back when the Cowboys were worth, worth rooting for. That's why I'm not a fan anymore. Sorry. Sorry. No. Y- y'all know it's, don't, don't, don't hate me. But good news. So I bought this card, a pack of cards. And in that pack of cards was this card right here. It's Michael Irvin, 1989 rookie card. Shaba. And so I was like, come on, Lord. Actually, I wasn't because I didn't know the Lord. And uh, so I got that card, and they had these things called Beckett's. And you go down the Beckett with your card, and you see how much your card's worth. How many of y'all collected cards back in those days? And so, man, I found great value in that card, right? I was like, yes, this is the card. Like, I had the Emmett Smiths and the Troy. I had all the Barry Sanders rookies. I was like, yeah, I still have them. And so I got this Michael Irvin card. How many of y'all think, how much do y'all think this is worth? Who, who wants to take a stab? Huh? What do you think? 250 bucks? You know how I many you can get on eBay right now and buy this card for a dollar? Because it was what's called the common era. And there were so many cards, so many collectors. It was such a trend that there are cards being put out. So it's not really worth that much. However, mm, doesn't matter what the market says. How many of you would give me more for a dollar than it right now? If I, come, if I stood at the door, you'd give me more than a dollar for it. Anybody would give me more than a dollar for that? Of course you would. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. All right. So listen. <laughs> so, so if I, there was a, when I, it was probably about 91, 92. And this is before, you know, Michael Irvin was like Michael Irvin. And they, I grew up in Odessa, Texas. And they had at Odessa College, they had a basketball game that was like a fundraiser. And they played the fire department or something. And so, man, we were like, oh, my gosh. You know, spazzing out. We get to see somebody famous. So funny how we get like that. And so we broke out our cards and looked for all the players. You know, we had them organized. And pulled out all our cowboy cards, start going through our cards. Found my Michael Irvin. I was like, Michael Irvin's going to be there. He was one of the guys that was going to be there. I was like, I'm going to get him to sign my rookie card. 
That's going to be worth like a million dollars in 30 years. That's kind of what we thought, right? Of course. I'm leaving an inheritance to my children. So, I, this is a real kind of thing. I'm going to buy a Lamborghini, you know, it's like all that kind of stuff. And so, there's Michael Irvin. He plays basketball, really. They go up and he signs this card. So, this card is signed by Michael Irvin. Who would give me more than a dollar for it now? Because he touched it and wrote on it with a Sharpie, he defaced it. <laughs> How much do you think it's worth now? You know how much it's worth? According to the books, a dollar. Because it's not certified by the market. They weren't there to witness the signature. It could be a fake. So I won't sell it for five bucks. Because to me, it's worth more than that. It's worth whatever someone will pay for it. That's why there's no value on a signed card that's un certified or whatever you call it. It's valuable, not because the market says it's valuable. It's valuable because it's signed. It's valuable because it's been imprinted. Come on. Listen, you are valuable because you belong to God. You know what I do with this card? I put it in this case right here, this hard plastic case, and I'm never taking it out. I protect this card. I keep it in a, I'm not going to tell you where I keep it. You're going to break in my house. I keep it in this, I keep it in a special place, away, far away from my house. I go through great depths to protect this card. Why? Because it's valuable. Because it's not just a card. It's also signed by the guy who's on the card. And so I go through great Links to protect that card. I won't let you touch it or breathe on it. I'll let you touch the plastic on the outside. Why do I protect it? Because it's valuable. Beloved, some of you are not living like you're valuable. You're not living like you belong to God. I know you prayed a prayer. I know you got goosebumps during worship today. But how are you living? Are you living like you're valuable to God? Are you living the values of heaven? Or are you living the values of you? This is what Paul says when he's in prison to the Ephesian church. He says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling. Listen, God called you to be His. Are you living a life that looks deserving? Are you living according to your value? Listen, because we are valuable to the King, we live with the King's values. What does your value system look like? Are you treating your life as precious? Beloved, don't live cheap. We gotta we gotta stop stop living cheap with our morality, with our language, the way that we treat one another. We've gotta we've gotta start acting like the royalty that we are. 
you, you justify sinful, to justify sinful lifestyle or rebellion is to make light of the price that Jesus paid for. So what we're saying is, I, you, I wasn't really worth the cross. I want to do what I want to do. Now, I have this deep concern for many that call themselves Christians because they're living outside of God's standard and value, values. You are valuable, beloved. Live like it. Live like you're valuable. Stop living cheaply. There's a parable in Matthew chapter 13 that Jesus shares. Jesus is sharing all these principles on the kingdom. And I I love the kingdom parables because we learn so much from them. And I want to read this to you. Many of you have heard this. I want to read this to you from a different angle. It says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he had. Everything he owned. And he bought it. He went searching. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And most of the time I heard this parable and it was talked about you. And you're the merchant. You've been searching your whole life for God so you sold everything because you found God. Let me tell you who the merchant in this story is. The merchant in this story is no other than the man, Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when he was on the earth and he saw you and he saw the lost and he saw the hurting and the saw the broken and he found you, he said, you know what? I'll give it all. I'll give it all for the pearl. I'll give it all for you, sister. I will give it all because you are valuable, because you're deeply loved, because you're deeply loved by your heavenly father. He gave it all for you. This is, this is how valuable, beloved, this is how valuable you are. He gave it all. Josh, he gave it all for us, man. He gave it all. He gave it all. The pearl, you are the pearl of great price. You're the prize of the cross. Will you live like it? Will you live like it? You're the pearl. You're the prize of Jesus. You're the valued of the Lord. You're his cherished one. You are the beloved of God. We'll have these pearls for you guys to take home today, y'all that didn't get one right now. And I want you to remember, I want you to put that somewhere and say, you know what, I'm valuable to God. He, he, he paid it all for me. We're going to enter into a time of communion today, and I've my heart's been really heavy for about a week about what I'm about to share with you. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, and people have taken this scripture extreme on both sides. But it says this, before you take communion, you should examine yourself. You should look in your heart and make sure that you're right right with God. Basically, that you're not cheapening the cross of Christ 
the price Jesus paid, you're not treating it as cheap. We're going to pass the, the elements out, guys. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, To examine yourself. To see whether or not you're in the faith. Listen, I'm not talking, when I talk about are you in Christ, thank you. When we talk about being in Christ, I'm not talking about a, an emotional decision you made at the end of a service or a prayer that you prayed with an individual. I'm talking about the life that you were living. Are you in Christ? For you died, Colossians 3.3, and your life is now hidden. Is your life hidden in Christ? And this question has been probing my mind all week. Are you in Christ? I'm not talking about... Yeah, I asked Jesus into my heart. No, no, no. I'm not talking about Christ being in you. I'm talking about, are you in Christ? Have you given yourself fully to Jesus? I don't want anybody taking their communion yet. What I want you to do is just close your eyes. And I want you to do exactly what the scriptures tell us to do right here. I want you to examine your heart. And I want you to ask the Lord this question. Am I in Christ? We're not talking about an experience. Although you will have those. Those are great starters. I'm talking about is your life in Christ?